tonight, I want you to imagine it's just me and you. Me and you in your living room with the Holy Spirit and with this book right here. If I'm honest with you, I'm, I'm really concerned. I'm concerned because I don't think you realize why you came here tonight, what you're a part of. Because I've been a part of some really exciting events in my life. I mean, I remember as a six-year-old seeing the premiere of Space Jam. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> I remember as a middle schooler opening a talent show, playing the Star Spangled Banner on my guitar. Let's just say Jimi Hendrix's legacy was not in question that night. In high school, I was a part of a rap group, believe it or not. And for two minutes, we rapped on top of my car, and it was amazing. Until all of a sudden, I saw my dad wildly flagging his arms as the roof of my car concaved. And let's just say that didn't end very well. I've been a part of events, and maybe... For you tonight, this is just an event, an event to hear some great, talented musicians and poets and artists, to eat some great food, to meet some people. And I hope that was your experience tonight, but I hope that's not the only part of your experience tonight. Tonight, I want to have an honest conversation with you about your purpose. And I can tell it's something that you've been thinking a lot about because I see your Instagram I can see that look on your face wondering, what am I doing with my life? Am I really doing what God has called me to do? And I think I can help with that. But I don't want to use my own words tonight. I want to use the, the words of a man named Apostle Paul, who wrote in 1 Corinthians, because his words were inspired by God, and I think they can help you. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you're new to church, you can use a, an app called YouVersion or just Google 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. Lord, as we have this conversation about purpose, I pray that you would speak, that you would come, that you'd reveal what you've called us to be and who to be. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I know it's a little bit strange, all these body parts, ears, eyes, mouth, feet, hands. What does this have to do with my purpose? It's probably what you're thinking. 
But the writer of this passage, the Apostle Paul, is using an analogy to describe a mysterious relationship, a relationship between Jesus and his church. And he's using the finite human language to capture this beautiful, glorious relationship. And so he's using an analogy to help us understand. And the analogy he's using is something that we can all understand because we all live in them, a human body. And here's his initial point in verse 12. He's talking to this church in Corinth. And he says, just like a human body has many members or parts, eyes, ears, feet, hands, you and I are a part of a body, the same body, the body of Jesus. And the Corinthians, the church that he's writing to, needed to hear that. Because they were a very eclectic group of people. You had Jews and Greeks. Jews were the really religious, pious people. They went to the temple every Saturday. They had a strict diet. They observed these religious holidays. They were God's chosen people. And you had these Greeks who were complete opposite. They came from, they're the type of guys who would paint up before a football game in the 30-degree weather, except for them was chariot horse riding. (laughs) They were the type of guys who, in their city in Corinth, there was this temple to Aphrodite, this goddess. And men would stop after, after work and go to this temple and engage in prostitution as an act of worship to this goddess. That was the background that they were coming from. They were known, that city, Corinth, was known as a city with no morality. It would be like the morality of a used car salesman. Sorry if you're a used car salesman. <laughs> Not only did you have this ethnic diversity of Jews and Greeks, but you had this socioeconomic difference, a wide gap, because in that city, there were 200,000 free people, and there were 500,000 slaves, two and a half times the amount of slaves as free people. You'd come into church, and on your left would be the janitor of your company. On the right would be the CEO, and Paul is writing to these people and telling them, you are the body of Christ, one body. Figure out how to do life together, how to worship together. And I know I'm talking about a group of people, a church that lived 2,000 years ago, but I think you and I, the two of us in my living room, have a lot lot of differences. I mean, for instance, we don't look the same. We don't have the same music preference. We don't have the same food tastes. I mean, let's just take politics for a second. You live in Northern Virginia, which means either you don't like President Trump or you work for him. (laughs) How did this diverse group of people in Corinth become a part of one body? Well, let's look at verse 13. They were baptized into one body. This group was all initiated into the same organization. But more than an organization, it was more like an organism than an organization. Because many of you, you, you've been in an organization, right? Fraternity, a sorority, maybe an intramural sports team, National Honor Society. You get a t-shirt, maybe you got a tattoo as a part of your organization. Maybe you have a secret handshake, I don't know. <laughs> but this was something living. This is something eternal. This was the body of Christ. And when you surrendered your life to Jesus, if you surrendered your life to Jesus, you got baptized and went down into that water. And when you went down into that water, what you're saying is, I no longer primarily identify myself as a a black woman or as an Asian man. 
I no longer primarily identify myself as a Republican or a Democrat, as a six-figure lawyer or as a community college student. My primary identity is Jesus Christ. When you came out of that water, you were placed into a new family. You were initiated into the body of Christ, which means as a follower of Jesus tonight, you are joined together. You are spiritually fused together with people who don't vote like you, who don't look like you, who aren't from the same family as you, who don't have the same background as you. And I know you're, you're struggling to figure out your purpose. And here's where my concern comes in. Because I don't think you see your purpose in light of the people that you're joined with. I think you see your purpose as just how it relates to you. And let's just go with Paul's analogy for a second of the body. And let's just pretend that you are a hand of Christ. You're looking at yourself as a hand and considering what your purpose might be. So maybe your purpose as a hand is to be number one. You want to be the best lawyer. You want to be the best doctor. You want to be the best person on your your company's team, the best teacher. Maybe your purpose in life as a hand is a cause. You want world peace. Or maybe you want to fight for sex slave trafficking. Or maybe you want to fight for people who have clean water. Or maybe your purpose as a hand is to live long and prosper. Nova style, to have a big house, to get married, to have kids, to retire early. Maybe your purpose as a hand is to find love, to find somebody that you can spend the rest of your life with. Maybe you didn't grow up with a father, and, or maybe somebody said something to you, and you're trying to get back at them. Your whole life is about showing them that they're, I'm not going to do that one, showing them that they're wrong. I don't know what your purpose is and how you view your purpose as a hand. But my concern is that a hand is pretty important, but it's useless if it's not attached to the body of Christ. And I know this may be tough as a hand, because as a hand, you got a lot going on. I mean, you got finger exercises to do, you got nails to manicure, right? You got paper cuts to mend. But But let's look beyond your role as a hand for a second and look to the body that you're attached to. Let's look at that five-year-old kid who's going to come to church tomorrow on Sunday morning, whose dad isn't there for him, who's looking for a big brother, somebody to play blocks with in Kid Builders, who's looking for a set of hands to care for him, to love him, to be there for him. Let's look at the keyboardist tomorrow morning who plays on Sunday morning and Sunday night at U-Church, our college service, and Saturday night as well, and Wednesday night too, because there's nobody else who plays keyboard. Let's look at a second. For, let's look at it for a second. The men who serve in our parking lot, who've served for decades, many of them 50 or 60 years old, who are out there in the cold, and and when it's really hot, who are just looking for a set of hands to help them direct traffic to give them a Sunday off. How, as a hand, can you serve the body of Christ? Look at the greeters. Look at the ushers. Look at the security of the church. Take your pick. How can you be a part of the body, whether it's here or whether it's your church home? Because you're a part of a larger body, the body of Christ. And I'm pleading with you, whether you're a hand, whether you're a foot, whether you're an ear or an eye, look beyond yourself and serve the body that you were joined to. 
Now, I can see the question forming in your mind right now. And I know because I've thought the same thing. What if I don't want to be a hand or an eye or a foot or whatever God has created you to be? What happens to all of us at some point is when we discover what God has created us to do, we inevitably look around to other people and the gifts that they have and want to do what they do. We see Pastor Brett preaching, and we want to be the mouth. We see Pastor Tiffany singing gloriously and wonder why God hasn't blessed us as a tongue. Or we see an administrator administrating neatly, and we wonder why we aren't the mind of the body. But Paul addresses that. Because some of us think if we can't be the body part that we want to be of Christ, then we're not going to be a part of the body at all. And this is what Paul says in verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. No, you're still a hand when you don't come to church. You're just a shriveled up one. You're still an ear when you choose to sit in the pew and not serve and not use your gifts. You're just a deaf ear. You're still an eye when you tune into the live stream for four straight weeks, eating ice cream and (laughs) making yourself omelets so you don't have to drive to church. You're still an eye, but you're just an eye with terrible vision. You're still a foot when you pick and choose when you want to come to service based on who's preaching or based on the weather or based on who's, you know, what, what's happening if we have an inflatable rock climbing wall or not. Wow. You're just a lame. <laughs> Somebody, that was the, the make or break, was that rock climbing wall. You're just a lame foot. You're not helping the body hear. You're not helping the body see. You're not helping the body walk. Because let's just assume for a second you get your wish to be that one body part. Let's just say for for the sake of example, that all of us become the uh, mouth to preach. We all want to be preachers. If the whole body were an eye, verse 17, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? I'll tell you what it would be like. It would be like tonight, you showed up and nobody shook your hand because mouths don't shake hands. Nobody showed you where to go. You walked in here and there were no chairs, so you sat on the ground because mouths don't set up chairs. Oh, you would hear worship, but it would be in all acapella because mouths don't play keyboard and mouths don't play guitar and mouths don't drum. You would hear a sermon. You'd hear 150 of them. <laughs> and you wouldn't be able to understand any of them because they all be talking at one time. And then you leave here, and you wouldn't know when to come back. You wouldn't see any social media or a post telling you when our next service is. You wouldn't see any pictures from the night because mouths don't make social media posts. That's what would happen if we're all mouths. Now, I want to warn you, Paul's next line is kind of a tough pill to swallow. It might be a little jarring at first, maybe even slightly offensive, but he wrote it, not me. <laughs> but I think if you give it some thought, you'll see how glorious it really is. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Did you catch that? 
God arranges the members of the body as he chooses. Now, I know you're used to doing a lot of arranging and a lot of choosing, but there's some really good news with the fact that God is the one who arranges and God is the one who chooses. I want to give you just four things. First, if God made you an ear, if he chose you to be an ear, then no one can take away your ear status. This is incredibly liberating because what it means is your purpose is not dependent on whether somebody recognizes you or doesn't recognize you. It's not threatened by another ear that may come along. You're an ear because God chose you to be an ear. Notice Number two, notice each one of them, that phrase, each one of them. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them. That means that every person, regardless of race, regardless of whether you have a great job or are unemployed, regardless of whether you know your purpose or you don't know your purpose, whether, rather, whether you're, you have a crystal clear vision for your life or you're floundering in confusion, each one of us who love God are part of Jesus' body. You have a role. You have a purpose. You have something to contribute. Number three, if God has arranged the members and chosen them, you know exactly who to go to to find out your purpose. You don't have to go to a life coach or pay $1,000 for a leadership class. You don't need a guy or a girl to tell you why you were created and what your purpose is. You can go straight to the source. And every time you open up the word of God, every time you spend time with God, he can reveal to you what he created you to be and how to be the best ear or foot or mouth you can be. Number four, lastly, the fact that God has chosen your role is really liberating because he's not expecting you to be somebody else. He doesn't expect you to preach like Pastor Brett or rap like some of these guys or sing like Pastor Tif Tiffany. He expects you to be the best ear or eye or mouth that you can possibly be. There's no pressure to be anybody else in this room. And Paul closes this passage in a very similar way to how he began. And it's how I want to close this conversation with you and me tonight. He says in verse 20, as it is, there are many parts yet one body. Your purpose isn't primarily about you. It's about how you can serve Jesus and his body. It's about how you can be the best eye or the best mouth or the best ear for the body of Christ so that the world will see the cumulative body. They'll see you serving in your, your role, me serving in my role, and everybody in the church serving in their role, and together making up the body of Christ, they'll see the risen Lord and Savior in the flesh. Jesus, who is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, who the world cannot see visibly, looks to us, his church, to give him visibility to a world that desperately needs him. And as I see it tonight, you have two options. The first option is you can live as though the body exists for you. The church exists to meet your needs. You can come, you can hear your inspiration, your great word for the week, you can go about your life. You can come seeing what you can consume and what you can take. You can be a parasite that just sucks the life out of the body all for you. You can do that. But you'll be the reason why people go, ooh, Jesus, you're looking really good today. But what's up with your shriveled up hand? Or, oh, Jesus, thank you for answering my prayer. 
but why does your foot keep tripping me? Or worse, no, I don't really mess with Jesus because that person at my work who's a Christian, who's a hand of, of Christ, and their actions always gossiping, they're basically flicking me off. Jesus is flicking me off through their actions. Or your second option is you can live to give. You can live to serve the rest of the body of Christ. You can become the member of the church that you attend and start serving in the, on the creativity team or the worship team or kid builders or however God has blessed you and whatever gifts he's given you. You can use those to serve the rest of the body of Christ. You can join a small group and instead of coming to get filled, come to be a blessing to somebody else, to encourage somebody else, to stand with somebody else, to be there for somebody else when they're going through something. You can be the best hand, foot, ear, mouth, whatever God has created you to be for Jesus so others see him. So yes, if you're a hand, be the best lawyer or doctor you can be. But recognize that there is only one Jesus, one Lord, one Savior. Be passionate about that cause for world peace or for wells in Africa or whatever God has given you a passion for, but recognize that every cause should serve for, to serve a greater cause of knowing Jesus Christ. And so the world would know Jesus Christ. Live for prosperity, but the kind of prosperity that exists to serve others and to be a blessing to others. I hope you find a husband or a wife, but recognize that that marriage exists to be a reflection of Jesus and the church. And if you're living, if you're living to get back at somebody, to prove somebody else is wrong, recognize that in your sin, you had given Jesus the middle finger. And he had responded by coming to you in human flesh and dying on the cross for your sins and being raised to life so that you could have life. He died for you when you were an enemy of his. That's love. And the mercy that is extended to you now extend to those who've hurt you. Let's pray.